Hello and welcome back in the trenches. We are live from Phoenix, Arizona on the heels of a chaotic, jam-packed, insightful week three of college football. And my, oh my, they tried to tell you it was going to be a dud week. And I tried to tell you it was not going to be a dud week. And for some reason, everyone just looked at this on paper and they just never learned. They just never learned that it is always, always, always going to be more under the surface when it comes to college football. And I I just don't understand how people never learn their lesson. But I appreciate you guys that are watching live on TikTok and in YouTube. See you guys hopping in the chat. We're getting a couple of questions flying in here, which is absolutely fantastic. We'll take some questions uh, near the end of the show. We're asking people asking, who do you think the best quarterback in college football is? Honestly, I think right now you've got to go with Caleb Williams. Uh, that's something that I didn't plan to talk about in here, but why not? Let's talk about it. I think Caleb Williams is is just being overlooked, and I think the idea that voter fatigue uh, is is factoring in is is a, a pretty valid uh, idea with Caleb Williams because people are just so used to what he's able to do. But anyways, let's go forward. In today's episode, we will be talking about week three, and we'll be recapping and reacting to all of the results there. We'll be talking about some of the biggest storylines coming out of week three. We'll do a MacGuffin recap. Talk about who won the Week 3 Fudgeman Award. Some of the biggest surprises so far. Uh, we'll do a Last Dance Tour Week 3 announcement. Or sorry, Week 4 announcement, I should say. We're getting all the way to Week 4 already in the season, which is absolutely insane. We're going to talk about who the special guest will be uh, for Week 4. Uh, for this Wednesday show, it'll be a lot of fun. And then we'll talk about the updated CF Fudge Top 25. And we'll end the show with a little bit of betting advice. Haven't posted the video on TikTok yet. So you'll get some easy early access to some of those locks. We went 3-3 three and three on locks last week. All right performance. You didn't lose any money if you rode. And we'll try to do better this week. So let's get to the week three recap and reactions. We've got a couple games here to talk about. I see Mason in the TikTok chat already alluding to him. The Florida Gators. Uh, Florida 29, Tennessee 16. The Gators dragged Tennessee into the mud just like I said they would or theorized they could. Uh, and they drag them into the mud and absolutely just beat them down. Uh, a great, great performance by the Gators. And Graham Mertz did exactly what they brought him to Gainesville to do. And that is manage the game. And that is operate this offense at a high level. And just what a game by the Gators. Billy Napier needed this win really badly. And it feels really good to see a team like Florida get a win like this when everyone, seemingly everyone, is going against them and talking about how bad they are. And I had followers coming to me telling me this team would barely reach four wins this season. And I always thought that was preposterous. And so what a win for Florida. Florida Gators fans, give yourselves a hand. Uh, take a moment to soak in this victory. That's a great rivalry win. Uh, the combo of Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne is absolutely lethal, and we saw what that running game is capable of doing. Uh, all of a sudden, Joe Milton on the losing side of things, if we look to Tennessee, Joe Milton looks shaky all of a sudden, and that is very alarming if you are the Tennessee Volunteers because Joe Milton was seemingly a certainty as a quarterback for you guys. It really felt like, based on everything you heard, that he was going to be the man and he was going to be legit and all of a sudden he just looks really really sloppy and he struggles the entire game versus Florida and they just could never get a rhythm going suddenly the faith and hypo system wavers a little the Tennessee defense still has many questions 
There's a rumor right now at Tennessee football, and some people haven't picked up on this yet, but uh, it's a rumor from some sources that I'd say are pretty accurate. It's a source that confirmed the Iowa betting scandal months before it broke nationally. Uh, But there's a very valid rumor that right now the locker room at Tennessee is split. And there is a camp that wants Nico, the five-star quarterback that came in, the true freshman, to be the starter. And there is a camp that wants Joe Milton to be the starter. And so some are saying that that had something to do with their lackluster performance. I'm not here to confirm or deny any of that, but... That's the theory right now. So sounds like Nico wants a shot, and we'll see if Hypo gives it to him. An interesting storyline to track there for Tennessee. It could be a reason for some of the dysfunction. Uh, second biggest game, Missouri. Some might argue this was the biggest game. Missouri 30, Kansas State 27. Harrison Mevis boots a 61-yarder through the uprights. He is him. He was the MVP of the Georgia game that they lost, but he kept them in it uh, a season ago. I did not see this upset coming. I did not. I picked Kansas State, and I really just did not think that Missouri was going to get this one done. And guess what? They went out and they did it. Uh, Going into this game, I said Missouri needed to get Luther Burden the football in order to succeed here, and that's exactly what they did. They got him the ball early. They got him the ball often, and it opened up everything. It opened up Theo Weiss being able to get the ball. It opened up their running game. It opened up so many things for this Missouri offense, and Missouri's offense looks good. They made a big step in the right direction, and that is so key for this team competing in the SEC, and we already knew their defense was legit, but now with their offense looking that good and that awesome, that is huge. On the losing side of things, Kansas State, they still played well enough to win that football game. That was a great performance by Kansas State. I am no lower on the Wildcats after that game than I was going into that game. I really think that Kansas State uh, is still a major threat to win the Big 12. And honestly, this might sound like a weak excuse, but when if I'm looking at how that game played out, uh, Brady Cook was hobbled, yes. Will Howard, I think, was slightly more hobbled. The guy could barely walk. His limp was significantly worse uh, than what Cook was dealing with. It was nice bringing in, I believe his name was Avery Johnson, although I might have butchered that. He was nice uh, coming in for uh, Kansas State, running those wildcat plays and and getting them some some much-needed yards on those in-between downs to get Will Howard healthy. So hope he can get healthy, uh, but excited to see more of that that backup uh, in the future if Will Howard isn't good to go. But my takeaways from there, I think Missouri uh, legitimately could be the second-best team in the SEC East, which is not something I saw coming this season. Uh, Next up, we have the game that every single person in America was watching, Colorado Colorado State and just as I say that we got Ian Frederich in the chat saying the game of the week was definitely Colorado State Colorado the Buffaloes did not play well enough to win this game and yet they won how about that they are fortunate to get out alive and it makes their next game that much more interesting against the Ducks in Austin Stadium but before I get ahead of myself Losing Travis Hunter is brutal for Colorado, and it's not it's more than just the big name. The versatility at defensive back and the the elite, honestly, elite wide receiver one option that they had. They're gonna have to rely on Jimmy Horn Jr. They're gonna have to rely on Weaver as well, uh, catching the football going forward, because it sounds like Hunter's gonna be out for multiple, multiple weeks. Some people were talking about how severe that late hit was. I didn't think it was the most crazy late hit I've ever seen, especially from a safety flying in to try and make a play. I think we see hits like that frequently. The only reason you're hearing so much about it is because there was so much focus on that game. 
we saw some cracks from the Buffaloes. We saw some cracks as they started to fall behind. Saw some things from some of their players starting to crumble a little. But I think that the Colorado State team is bad enough that Colorado was still able to come back in that game despite some of those cracks and some of those flaws that began to emerge. So, um, you know, it was whatever. Colorado State could definitely steal some wins this year. Unfortunately, they play a tough schedule. It was an inspired performance. Would have been crazy if they won that game. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, great win for Colorado. And the hype train rolls at full capacity. It makes the Oregon game just that much more interesting for the Buffaloes. More about the coverage of that game because I've got a lot of thoughts on that in just a second. Uh, last game we're going to do a recap of is Penn State-Illinois. Ending score 30-13. to And I just had a few things to say about this game. Uh, Penn State comes out with a win. They go plus four in turnover differential, and they win by 17. The defense for Penn State looks ready. They look ready to compete at a championship level, and they look ready for Michigan. They look ready for Ohio State. Yes, it was against a dreadful Illinois offense, but that's an experienced quarterback in Allmeyer that they made look silly at many points. I think the defense is ready, and honestly, Brett Bielema offenses typically are able to run the ball pretty effectively too, and Penn State limited that as well. So the playmakers on this defense that we trusted uh, absolutely lived up to to the hype and pay the bill of, of what you expected uh, from the Penn State defense. But the offense for Penn State, this offense needs to find another gear, man. They they were struggling at many points throughout that game. The fact that they went plus four in the turnover differential allowed them to win by 17 and sort of run away at the end. But Drew Aller needs to find ways and James Franklin needs to find ways to manufacture some offense when this isn't clicking. Whether that's Nick Singleton getting him the football in whatever way you can. Whether that's getting, uh, I almost said Tez Walker, but that's not who I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about uh, the guy from Kent State that uh, that Penn State got. For some reason, his name's completely escaping me right now. Dante Cephas. Finding ways to get Dante Cephas the football. Finding ways to get Aller out in space and, and running the ball. Uh, improvising when they need it, just finding ways to manufacture anything. We didn't see that gear from Penn State, and it could be that they're trying to hide those things and save those things for later in the year, and they knew they didn't need to use. But as Ian and Frederich in the chat says, Penn State's defense was keeping them in that game. In terms of my Illinois stuff, guess what? I thought they were going to go 1-2 and two this year in the preseason, uh, and they're still my Big Ten West pick. And that just says more about the Big Ten West than anything. But I still think I can trust them a little more than Wisconsin and Iowa. A couple of teams we've seen a little spotty. Although Iowa, I will admit, is starting to win me over again with that defense that's rated number one in the entire country by ESPN's S&P+. And uh, the offense scored a lot of points. It was Western Michigan. But uh, the, the offense, to be fair, I think is just as bad for Iowa. But let's get to the Week 3 Budgeman Award, and the award winner is a guy I already shouted out, Harrison Mevis. He was 3 of 4. I don't even care about the miss because he hit a 61-yarder to win it. Harrison Mevis is the Week 3 Budgeman Award winner. We had Dylan Edwards, we had Bo Nix, and now Harrison Mevis, the Week 3 winner. So shout-out to Mevis, uh, an absolute baller at kicker, and I'm glad Missouri still has him for another year. That is a genuine weapon for Missouri, the fact that he can bang field goals from that long. Uh, let's do a recap of the last dance tour. Uh, for those of you that know where I was for this game, uh, it was it was something. It was something. You probably already know what my thoughts are about to be. But we were in Tempe, Arizona for the Fresno State-Arizona State game. And oh my goodness, this was the beatdown of the weekend. Arizona State did absolutely nothing. They did nothing. 
They turned the ball over eight times. They had five interceptions and three fumbles. The Sun Devils never, never at any point scored in this game and lost 29 to nothing. What was that? Fresno State minus three and a half was on the best bets that we put out, and we won. But at what cost? At what co- At least I was expecting a competitive game. Uh, Rashada is out four to six weeks with an injury. Uh, Drew Pine has a lower leg injury. Jacob Conover is the guy because Trenton Borgay, who started a lot last year for ASU, he has a lower leg injury. And so this team is a mess. This pro- program is a mess. We've talked about it in the past. Ray Anderson, the bull, the self-imposed bull ban, all that stuff. Uh, it's a it's a complete mess in Tempe, and that was one of the ugliest performances I've ever seen. Arizona State is a bottom two program in the Pac-12 right now with Stanford, who just lost to Sacramento State. And uh, I don't know if they can get a conference win this year. I genuinely don't. That was awful. Uh, and and as as somebody's noting in the chat right now, Jacob Conover was not good. Six of 16, 89 yards, two interceptions. Yes, he got thrusted into a game, but, you know, that was awful. Fresno State, however, let's give some credit to them. I like to talk about the winners first, so I apologize for not addressing that. But the Arizona State thing was just so jarring. Fresno State solidifies themselves as one of the top group of five contenders for the New Year Six. They have two Power Five wins now. Yes, they're against Arizona State and Purdue, who might not be very prolific in their respective conferences, but Fresno State was outgunned and outskilled and outtalented in both of those games, and it didn't matter. They schemed their way around it, and they won. Uh, in the Mountain West, things are looking pretty good for them right now. San Diego State's had their shaky moments. They couldn't beat their Power 5 teams they played, given they were probably better. Boise State's taking a couple losses. Uh, Air Force is still undefeated. So Fresno State's going to have a uh, a few teams that test them in the Mountain West, but they are, I think, the clear front runner. They were number one in the Group of 5 Top 25. I have not released that on TikTok yet, but that is up on the Instagram in case you missed it. So let me get some water in me in this desert heat. It is important to stay hydrated. I appreciate everyone that's watching in the TikTok live and in the YouTube live. Uh, appreciate you guys and, and continue to let those comments roll in. I like uh, picking up on those every once in a while. But let's get to some of the biggest storylines outside of the games. The first one is one I've been meaning to talk about, and I talked about it on Twitter a little bit. I haven't made a video on it. I've thought about it. Uh, maybe I will. But the Colorado Colorado State coverage was pretty unbelievable this weekend, and I don't mean in a good way. Uh, the amount of one-sided reporting that was done leading up to this game was pretty laughable and pretty embarrassing for the sport, uh, honestly. Uh, Colorado was being treated as this invincible team that was just about to splatter Colorado State, and there was nothing the Rams could do about it. Uh, Jay Norvell then has the hat and sunglasses quote from just a – it's just an innocent press conference talking to some boosters and fans – and the media just took it and ran with it. And, oh, hat and sunglasses that is the butt of every joke. People were bringing it up to Dion. Can you believe this idiot said this? And no one even for a second decided to give Norvell either the benefit of the doubt or maybe it was taken out of context, anything. The only person I ever saw the entire weekend who acknowledged that, oh, that's being overblown, was Reese Davis. He was the only guy who did that. And I, I just think it's unbelievable how one-sided 
things felt this entire weekend. Uh, and then you had Dion. He went on both of the game day shows. Jay Norvell didn't go on either of them, and I understand that may have been more of Dion asking to be on there. But he goes on to college game day, and they ask him how the game's going to go, and they ask him specifically about the hat and sunglasses comment. And Dion says, keep the cameras rolling. He said that. He said that as if Colorado's going to be up by 40-plus in the fourth quarter, keep the cameras rolling while we run the score up on these bums, is basically what he said. And the Rams played like a team that nobody believed in because nobody believed in them. And I think that's one of the reasons we got a really inspired effort from them. And you just had every journalist on the planet acting like Colorado was about to blast these guys out of the atmosphere. And it was so funny. It was gen- It made me laugh. Watching the national media squirm and change their narrative and change what they're saying when they realized this game was not going to fit their narrative. Colorado State wasn't just going to show up and take their loss and walk away. They showed up like a football team full of college kids that wanted a win and were ready for the big moment. And honestly, just shout out to the performance we saw from Colorado State. I think we learned a lot from Colorado with the way they responded, the way they came back, the way they were able to win. It's important to win ugly. We'll talk about that in just a second. But shout out to Colorado State for how they played uh, despite nobody, literally nobody believing in them. Uh, But speaking of winning ugly, every single season, especially in the early season when you've still got uh, a decent amount of casuals enjoying the sport, and that's just what happens when the sport is so big and wide-spanning, you're just going to have casuals consume the content, which is completely fine, and we welcome the casuals to enjoy the – it's great. It's college football. Soak it up. But the casuals immediately out themselves every time when you see something like the Colorado-Colorado State game. Let's say you see something like Alabama-South Florida or Florida State-Boston College or Texas-Wyoming for three quarters or even last week, Utah-Baylor, Oregon-Texas Tech. People see those results and they say, oh my gosh, that team's terrible. That team's terrible. They almost lost to Boston College. They almost lost to South Florida. They almost lost to Baylor. You hear people saying stuff like this. Georgia, they almost lost to South Carolina. North Carolina crushed South Carolina. You can tell those are casuals because this is college football. This is not the professional level. This is college football. You are not going to be getting the same team week in and week out. These are college kids. Yes, they're athletes that are a lot of them getting paid now and athletes that play at a very high level. But it matters in college football to win ugly. It matters to win the games that you were supposed to lose just like Colorado managed to do. And that's why I think I give a lot of credit to that performance The AP poll recently, too, and it's not even a recent thing. It's just in general. The AP poll is poverty when it comes to uh, just pretty much everything they do. For example, Florida's below Tennessee this week after Tennessee beat them. But the AP poll teaches you the wrong lesson. It teaches you that when a team plays ugly and wins ugly, they should be punished for it. Alabama dropped three spots in the AP poll this week after beating South Florida. I think that's an overreaction. I didn't move them at all. And I think if Bama beats Ole Miss this week, which – They very well might. I'm not going to make the prediction on that game yet. You're going to see the AP poll jump them right back up and say, oh, they're now good. They're now good again. But they were bad after the close game versus South Florida. Colorado, I even think, lost a spot or two in the AP poll. They're just teaching you the wrong lesson and not giving the same credit that should be given when these teams are able to win these games that they shouldn't be winning. I just think that it's an important skill to have. And 
I even look back, like think of the Washington Huskies last year. They ended up losing to Arizona State. They would have been in the playoff last year if they would have found a way to win that game that they should have lost. Would people have still said it was ugly and still said, oh, Washington sucks for that, barely beating a trash Arizona State team on the road? Yes, but they would have had the win nonetheless. I think it's just a really important skill, and it shows a lot of resilience at the college level. And I think when you're looking at a team that can win the national title, you need to be able to win those games. But let's move forward to the next biggest storyline. The Pac-12 keeps on winning, uh, not including Arizona State and Stanford. The Pac-12 went 28-2 and in the non-conference. Only two losses for the Pac-12 were Cal's 14-10 loss to Auburn and Arizona's overtime loss to Mississippi State. I have literally never in all my life watching college football seen a non-conference performance like this one the Pac-12 put on. It was unbelievable. They have set themselves up in a really, really good position. This is the best position the Pac-12 has been in in years and years and years. And frankly, the whole playoff era to get a team in the playoff, and it's in the last year. Obviously, we've talked about how sad that is. But there is a matchup currently between two currently ranked teams in the Pac-12 every single week for the entire rest of the season. I'm pretty sure most weeks have two of them. So for anyone trying to tell you that the Pac-12 is not an exciting conference or anything like that, uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, we've got we've got Ian asking, what's the big noon kickoff game this weekend? Uh, the big noon game this weekend is going to be Oklahoma uh, at Cincinnati, which shout out to them for finally going to a non-Colorado game. But before you give them any credit at all, they also announced that they're going to the Colorado game in week five. So immediately just shooting all their credibility again and just showing up, oh, they're just chasing, chasing money. Uh, pretty funny that they just continue to do that kind of stuff, but... What can you do? Let's get to uh, this next piece where we are three weeks into the season now. And I think we've reached a point in the season where it is now okay to pause your observations. Obviously, still be taking – scratch that. Don't pause your observations. Keep observing, right? But you can start to draw some conclusions at this point in the season. I think that's fair. And of the conclusions I'm drawing, I'm starting to realize there are some teams – I may have been too low on, and I want to talk about four of those teams, and we'll start with Missouri. Why not? Missouri's the team that just pulled off the big upset. I flirted with rating this Missouri team a little higher in the offseason because the defense has been there for Missouri. However, the question was always whether or not Drinkwitz could get a viable offense on the field, whether or not Brady Cook could be the guy. I know they had uh, Garcia, Jake Garcia, who came in from Miami, who looked to challenge uh, Cook for the job. He ended up not winning it. Brady Cook wins it. Looks like for good reason uh, due to that game. But shout out to Missouri, man. Luther Burden is a superstar. We already knew that. But he's unlocked another gear in this offense. Uh, they could genuinely be the second best SEC East team, like I mentioned earlier. But definitely a team that you shouldn't mess with. I think they could win feasibly, even if maybe they're not at their ceilings of ceiling, that how it looks right now. Seven wins, eight wins. Maybe closer to eight, maybe thinking nine if something goes well. I've oh Missouri an apology. I I was a little lower on them. I was thinking maybe five or six wins and maybe Elia Drinkwitz uh, hot seat talk. The next team is a team I've been seeing more and more of their fans coming out, and I frankly love to see it. How about them Scarlet Knights, Rutgers, and I owe Rutgers an apology because I was low on Rutgers in the offseason and it was a team I was looking at and saying maybe one maybe two conference wins if that 
this team's not going to do anything. We're going to look at another four and eight, five and seven year, maybe, maybe, probably. Like I think I might have been even looking at a potential three and nine season for Rutgers. And I, I'm familiar with Greg Schiano, and I'm familiar with the rebuild at Rutgers, but I think it was just rebuild fatigue. We're heading to year four of the rebuild. Rutgers went four and eight last season, following a five and seven season that looked promising. And so the the almost regression you see, I understand success is never linear at a program like this, and uh, I think we're seeing that they're three and zero. They're three and zero, and they started last season three and zero too. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But the win over Virginia Tech was pretty impressive, and the spread on that Michigan game is pretty small compared to what it could have been. I think it's 24, so that's kind of interesting, I think. But I got I owe Rutgers an apology as well. Next team lining up in the apology line, Central Florida. Going into the season, I did not think that Central Florida's line of scrimmage talent would be enough to compete in the Big 12. I knew about John Reese Plumley. I knew about the offense. I knew about Gus Malzahn, obviously. I just thought that it was not going to be enough. However, through three games, they flashed that they've got potential on both sides of the football. The offense looks really good, and the defense has had flashes. That Boise State game, the defense played phenomenally. And so, all of a sudden, I'm looking at the bottom tier of Big 12 schools, and I'm saying, UCF can beat Cincinnati. UCF can beat Oklahoma State. UCF can beat Baylor. UCF can beat a lot of those teams toward the bottom that are looking really bad right now and I'm not sure how much of those teams they play I know they play a decent amount but all of a sudden it's looking like the wins could start racking up for Central Florida and they could end up uh, not only making a bowl game but making a good bowl game in the Big 12 in their first year and the next team is another first year Big 12 team how about the BYU Cougars I struggled to project this team to go bowling They struggled last season with a weak schedule, which made me doubt them despite some successes they've had in the Sataki era. But the number I kept going back to was the number five. And that was they played five power five schools last season as opposed to 10 this year. And last year they won, I believe, seven games in the regular season, maybe eight after a bowl win. They might have won eight games in in the regular season. Let's say eight and give them the benefit of the doubt. I thought eight wins with five Power 5 teams and you double the amount of Power 5 teams on the schedule. I just was struggling to see this BYU team make that stretch to make a bowl game. But that road win in Fayetteville against Arkansas, this team is clearly not messing around. And they got punched in the jaw early against Arkansas. They laughed right in their face and said, that was cool, watch this. Took the lead. Arkansas punched him in the jaw again, took the lead back. And BYU laughed and said, oh, that's cool. Watch this. And then won the game on an insane catch, by the way. If you haven't seen that catch that would go ahead touchdown for BYU late, go watch that highlight. That was very impressive. Uh, They're playing with an edge that they did not have last season, and I frankly love to see it. So those are some teams that I was too low on. I owed an apology. Apologized to them. Uh, Not going to apologize to Washington or North Carolina, despite what all my comments want me to say. Um, might make a video on Washington later this week because I have them a little lower in my rankings and I'll go over those later uh, and people don't like that. So speaking of the Huskies, they defeat Michigan State this weekend. They crushed them. No Mel Tucker, no problem. They absolutely destroyed Michigan State. Mel Tucker, by the way, has been informed that he is the process of firing him is going to begin this week. So Michigan State's coach is going to be officially fired very soon, it sounds like, uh, after his suspension. It sounds like they have all the evidence they need to fire him with cause. Uh, So Michigan State got absolutely splattered by Washington. And Washington 
gets to play Cal this week now. They have the MacGuffin. That's why I'm recapping this. Why That's why this is important. Uh, they host a Cal team that has had a knack for beating Washington uh, of recent note. And uh, I, I don't have the exact number here, but I believe Cal has beaten Washington the last two times or maybe two of the last three times they played in Seattle. Um, don't Don't take my word for that. Maybe I should have had stats and info run the numbers on that one. But watch out in this game. The spread is 20. Looks like a lot of people are just all in on the Huskies, but the Cal defense is pretty legit. Washington's biggest test of the season so far. It's almost felt like a gradient for the Huskies of their tests getting bigger and bigger as the season's gone on. So uh, watch out for that. Uh, Appreciate everyone watching live on YouTube and watching live on TikTok. Don't forget to follow on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, and on Facebook. So if you're not following CF Budge and all those platforms, Go ahead and do that. I give a little bit something extra, something different to offer on each of those platforms. On Twitter, you get more of my live, uh, you know, reactive thoughts throughout the week as well as live tweeting the day of during games. On TikTok, you're going to be getting those scheduled videos every day. On Instagram, you're going to be getting the backgrounds of those videos essentially pasted but just in a solid form where you can just see it. I know that's more convenient for some people. Like for example, my top 25, I posted on TikTok and people are like, hey, move your head out of the way, move your head out of the way. Well, guess what? If you're on Instagram, my head's not anywhere near there because it's not a video. It's just a post. And I also post um, my tour every week. So I like I have a post from the Arizona State game this last week. Uh, so there's something to offer everywhere. And of course, YouTube is where these live streams uh, and episodes of In the Trenches get posted. And you can also find In the Trenches with Tyler Budge anywhere you get podcasts, literally anywhere. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts or in the link in the bio on any of my social media. So I appreciate you guys for doing all that. And if you like college football a lot, feel free to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. We're going to be doing it on Tuesdays now. It's also linked in the bio of any of my social media. But it provides a nice little insight to everything. It's got the Eliminator on there, the Last Dance Tour announcement, uh, anything you miss from the games, game recaps, game insights, and the earliest place you can find any of my predictions to the upcoming slate of games. So feel free to go check that out. It's a lot of fun. But we've got a few announcements to make for this week. And so let's get into that. The first of which is going to be the announcement for where the Last Dance Tour is headed for week four. Let me pause to take a water break. So before I announce the week four uh, location, I'm going to start by prefacing it by saying it's not going to be anywhere crazy. Week four is stacked. Uh, I'm not going to be going to a crazy game. It's not going to be a battle between two top 25 teams. I just wanted to preface that. And hey, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beat around the bush. We're still growing. We're still smaller. I'm not making a million dollars a year yet from talking about college football. Soon, I will be soon. So we do have to have some weeks where we stay closer to home, uh, and and sometimes it's gonna come back to back, and that's what's gonna happen this week. We're going to Tempe, Arizona for USC at Arizona State. But hey, despite how horrible the Sun Devils looked this last week, we're gonna be watching a perennial playoff and potentially national title contender USC come into town. And guess what? Anything can happen because it's college football. So we are going to be in Tempe, Arizona for the last dance tour. Uh, Guarantee you in week five, we will be not at Arizona state. I will confirm that for week five. And there are many more locations, including several East of the Mississippi going forward for the last dance tour. So don't give up hope quite yet. I know some of you might be saying, Oh, you're going to Tempe again. Don't give up hopes quite yet. Uh, the Trojans in this matchup specifically, USC at Arizona State, the Trojans are a playoff contender. And uh, this is going to be our first time seeing the Trojans on the road this season. 
USC's defense might not be tested in this game because ASU might be on their fourth string quarterback. We'll see what happens with Pine and Borgay. We know Rashada won't be playing, but who knows? What can Kenny Dillingham cook up? He was the offensive coordinator at Oregon last year. We know he can do stuff with backup quarterbacks. He did it when Bo Nix went down. So we'll see. But the Arizona State defense is actually not bad. They held Fresno State to five field goals after turnovers. The only touchdowns they allowed were on the first drive of the first quarter and third quarter for Fresno State. Uh, we could be in for a bloodbath. That's very real. Uh, there's a chance I'm I'm leaving this game at the half to go to Rusty Taco to watch some other games, but that's where we'll be going. We're going to at, we're going to a game every week, and that's the promise. And so we're going to a game. It might not. It might be a bloodbath. I'm just prepping you for that. But it's gonna be fun regardless. We'll see what fun uniform combinations the Sun Devils roll out, and we'll see if maybe we get a close game, a surprising close game on our hands. God forbid an upset. But let's get to another exciting announcement. We've got a special guest for the Wednesday show. And this is a special guest that's a little more unique than some of the guests we've had so far. In week one, we had my roommate Colt Almadova. In week two, we had Rico Nose. In week three, we had Matthew Sponauer. And for week four, we have another guy who has a pretty decent following on TikTok. But believe it or not, nothing to do with football. Although there is something to do with football. It's just a different kind of football. It is going to be Michael Bosky, the creator of all things Barcelona and talking baseball history on TikTok. He's also a good friend of mine, and we were also roommates for three years. So if you're familiar with either of those two accounts, All Things Barcelona doesn't exist anymore, but Talking Baseball History does. So go give him a, a shout-out. Go check him out. Uh, that He is going to be the guest on the Wednesday show. Going to be a lot of fun. He's a guy that loves college football. We talk about it all the time, and it'll be fun to talk in a podcast format. Uh, last week with Matthew, it was a little bit different, a little bit uh different structure on the Wednesday show. I assure you this Wednesday we'll get back to our usual structure and we'll be making those predictions on the show as opposed to uh, uh, on social media exclusively uh, for next week's podcast. So let's get to the final couple things here as I'm going to take some a sip of water as well. I'm accidentally becoming the guy that um, has a bunch of glasses of water. I've got four of them up here right now. The other two are, are over there um, that has a bunch of glasses of water in his room. I don't want to be that guy, and I didn't used to be that guy, but my bedroom is now upstairs. And so the convenience of taking the water cup back is no longer convenient for me. So I'm I'm becoming my greatest fear, basically. But for the CF Budge Top 25, nothing crazy as far as changes from this week. Uh, from last week, which I think is a good sign. It means that my rankings are consistent, and it means that uh, I, the stuff I believe last week, I still believe this week. There's no movement in the top 10. Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, USC, Michigan, Florida State, Oregon, Penn State, Notre Dame, Alabama, in that order, 1 through 10. I'm not going to punish Alabama for that road win at South Florida. I think there was a lot of factors at play there, not punishing them for that. Then we have some changes due to some teams losing. Oregon State, LSU, Utah, all up one. At 14, we have Washington. They go up two. So the Huskies trending up a little bit. They were at 16 last week. Oklahoma also up two. Uh, the only real flip-flopping starts to happen towards the end of the rankings. We've got Duke at 16. They're up three. They moved up and then jumped Maryland, who's up one at 16. Basically, the reasoning behind that is I, I just really like the consistency I've seen from Duke after that initial win against Clemson. They looked very sharp against Northwestern, and so uh, the consistency is very encouraging. For Maryland, they've gotten off to some slow starts, and I'd really like to see them limit that, especially against a poverty Virginia team. They did end up winning and covering those. So they're at 17. 
At 18, we have North Carolina. They're up three. Another impressive win over Minnesota. Power five win. I give a lot of credit to that. They leapfrogged Clemson, who is at number 19. The Tigers, uh, a team that I, I just really want to see them against Florida State this week. And I'm excited to watch that game because I have not dropped them from my top 25 yet. And that's because I didn't want to completely overreact to the loss to Duke. Because guess what? If you're saying Duke is a top 25 team, which currently the AP is, then you're saying Clemson's loss was to a top 25 team. And so you can't punish them that harshly. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm not punishing them too harshly. Uh, Big changes here at 20 is where I have Missouri. Up six, Missouri is showing me everything I didn't think they could show me, and I give a lot of credit to that. I think that this is legitimately the second-best team in the SEC East right now, and I give a lot of credit to that victory they had. So they are my number 20 team. They are up six from unranked. Ole Miss is up two to 21. Some people are saying that's disrespectful. I think that it's just because your perception has been skewed by the AP poll. At 22, I've got Kansas. They haven't moved. 23rd is Washington State. They're up one. Entering the rankings at 24 is going to be the Florida Gators. Florida with a really impressive win over Tennessee. Their one loss is to Utah. I just think that that win over Tennessee is more impressive than maybe something I've seen from Colorado up to this point this season, which bring me to 25. I've got Kansas State at 25. Like I said, they played well against Missouri. They played well enough to win. I thought it would be too disrespectful to drop them from the top 25, especially because I think they can still be a Big 12 contender this season. So that's my top 25. No Colorado, and I know that's going to shock some people, especially the people that have only tuned into this sport to watch Colorado. And those are the types of people I get commenting like, oh, Colorado's better than 10 of the teams in your top 25. And I'm like, okay. Okay, find me three that they, that you would favor them over on a neutral field or that you think they would win more often than not against. Uh, but let's get from the top 25, which caused quite a stir on social media today, I must say. And it's it like I said, it's the Washington stuff. It's the North Carolina stuff. Oh, well. Uh, let's get to the best bets of week four. I've been hearing uh, some, some rumors, some whispers of certain social media guys that cover college football that are being a little suspect about where they put their locks, where they hide their locks, how they do their betting stuff. And I always love to be completely transparent with you guys. So I just want to remind you that I post all my locks on TikTok. I post them usually on Wednesday or Thursday before the game. I post them. I post my reaction afterwards and I include my record above. And it's always locks that I've shown you on all my social media. So with that being said, we went 3-3 three and three on locks last week. We are 9-10 and 10 on the season, just under 500. That's not good. That's not money in your pockets. So let's try and get some more money in your pockets. Michigan minus 24 versus Rutgers. I think that's a great line to move on right now. I really think the Wolverines are going to come out and play inspired. Uh, I believe this is going to be Jim Harbaugh being back for the Wolverines as well, which is going to be probably a big story. And, and Rutgers... Great start to the season, 3-0. and uh, It's just, you know, it's too good to be true. This is going to be a, a Michigan-dominant win. Even though they looked a little sus against Bowling Green this last week, I really think the Wolverines can take care of business. Uh, I've got one on here that I think I'm going to delete. I don't trust it anymore. But I'm going to go Maryland minus 7 versus Michigan State. We rocked with the Terrapins last week. They covered with flying colors. They won by 28, and they were only supposed to cover 14 for us. Beautiful. Maryland's given, they're giving us 7 against Michigan State. Yes, the road game, but I trust Taulia and the squad to start fast, hopefully, this week because that would make me feel a little bit better and then just take control of the game from here. 
Um, I, might, I might tweet an exact score prediction for this game because I perfectly predicted the score to the last game, 42-14 against Virginia on Twitter. Don't ask me how I did that, but it, it was definitely a fluke. And then the last of the three locks, let's do Texas Tech minus six versus West Virginia. Uh, in college football and in college football betting, buy low. Buy low on a team. Texas Tech is one and two. People are low on them right now. I'm taking them minus six against West Virginia. People are high on West Virginia because they're coming off the pit win. I really think Texas Tech minus six is a really good bet and good bank for your buck here. Uh, and so we're going to we're gonna go undefeated in our bets this week. I'm really feeling it. We're going to get well above 500, so that's not even an issue. Uh, but, yeah, that does it for In the Trenches. Thank you for watching live, and thank you for listening. I will see you guys on Wednesday.